and find the John with the number in front of it. You can get it there, table of contents, and I'll be reading it uh, so you can hear it as well. Uh, this is the season. Actually, I keep track of the church calendar, and this is the, the season of ordinary time, which I think is a really uh, kind of like a, a bummer for six months on the uh, liturgical calendar because it, there's nothing about the Christian life that is particularly ordinary, but we start counting the weeks as the uh, number, the nth Sunday after Pentecost, which happens sometime in the middle of the summer. But I will say that, that the first six months of the year focused on Christ. They focus on his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension, session, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and that, church, that part of the church calendar is what we know as Advent, Epiphany, Lent, and Easter. It's not a bad way to mark your calendar. But you need to know that even in the six months of ordinary time, there's nothing ordinary about the Christian life. And it's good that during this so-called ordinary time, you're taking some time to focus on 1 John. 1 John is about, teaching, uh, is about the teaching of Christ lived out practically in the church of Christ. How is Christ revealed through the lives of ordinary Christians? That's what John has been doing for you in these uh, weeks. He's revealing Christ in our lives. And 1 John is a, a letter you could read out loud in about 20 minutes, but you know we're walking through it slowly. And you should be meditating on it together as a community. So uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. And here now, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Please pray with me. And now, O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law and grow us 30, 60, and 100-fold. Amen. Please be seated. When the test goes wrong, our wounds become vows. When the test goes wrong, our wounds become vows. Have you ever worked somewhere where uh, there was a sign on everything. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you, you go somewhere and uh, it says something like, use the handle gently, there's a sign on it. Uh, Return when finished, a sign on a piece of gear that you might take out. Do not remove this thing, this book from this room. I've worked in enough places, whether it was uh, when I served in the Air Force, 
uh, or uh, whether it was when I worked as a temp at the state capitol years ago, or even now working at Zion, a lot of places, all, almost every place that I've worked, at some point, uh, there are little signs that get put on things. Uh, and uh, the, the sign got there in the first place because, uh, well, there's always a story behind it, right? Uh, someone was too rough with the handle, and it broke. And once we fixed it, we put up this sign to make sure it would never happen again. I put this piece of gear out for someone to use and it never came back. So then we replaced it and we put this sign up to make sure that would never happen again. We test out what seems to be our normal life. Something goes wrong. And to ensure that no one breaks something or takes something ever again, we put up a sign. What was it that I said? When the test goes wrong, wounds become vows and vows become a way of life. Now, what about your own heart and mind? Have you ever tested life with your own heart and mind and uh, been wounded? Had the test go wrong? You can't really put up a sign over your head or over your heart, but you can and do often make vows. And those vows become a way of life about how you treat those around you and how you let those around you treat you. My heart was hurt by a person who did this, and I vow never to trust a person like that again. I was naive when I uh, tried this way of life, and it led me wrong, and so therefore I vow never to follow this way of life again. In fact, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Of course, uh, doing the opposite is just another way of imitation sometimes, isn't it? We tend to be suspicious or naive when it comes to testing things in the world around us. The original readers of John's letter, they were in danger of becoming either one or the other, either overly suspicious of those who might come and speak to them in Christ's name, or the other danger for them was to be overly trusting and to be naive and let anyone come and lead them in a direction. And one of the reasons John is writing is to show them a path to walk and to help give them some guardrails along the way. Christians today need the same thing, to constantly look again at walking in the light and to learn appropriate guardrails to keep them from veering into darkness, either veering into uh, suspicion or veering into naivete. And because Christ calls Christians to walk in the light, we must test the spirits. Now, John's going to help us here with testing the spirits uh, when we see uh, these three things answered. What are the spirits? How do we test them? And how do we overcome by the Spirit? So what are the spirits? How do we test them? And how to overcome by the Spirit? So let's start with this idea. What are the spirits? Before we answer that exact question, what are the spirits? I want to make sure that you don't miss the very first word of verse 1. In English, we translate it, Beloved. And of course, as Christians, uh, you know, they let the risk of letting it be a bible sounding throwaway word, beloved. But we'd better not do that. We'd better pay attention to it. John is talking to the community of Christians. 
And you just have to imagine them all sitting there as we're sitting here and they're listening to the first messenger read this letter of 1 John to them. And John starts this paragraph by saying in the Greek, agapetoi. Maybe several of you will know that the Greek word agape means love. And in the New Testament, uh, agape most often refers to God's unconditional love. God's love that loves you first before you even loved him. That's agape. But here, and actually six times in this letter, John turns that word agape into a name for the gathered Christian community. Agapetoi. You are the agapetoi, the ones to whom God's agape, his unconditional, beautiful love has come. You are the beloved. The love of God has found you. And it's found you and you and you. And that love is a power now working in and through you and you and you and you. And that love weaves all of us into an agape community and a community that uh, has found love, that God's love has found. We are the agapetoi. In other words, and most importantly, you are not alone in the love of God. And that is good news as we seek to answer two questions about what are the spirits and how do we test them? Because uh, many people, many Christians live their lives, even their Christian lives by this motto, uh, I should be able to do this myself. I ought to be able to do this myself. And friends, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, Some will read verse one and see, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And you will say to yourself, I should be able to test the spirits myself. And you completely skip over John's context clue for us. John says, beloved. It's it's plural. He's talking to the gathered church of believers, not just to you as an individual or you as an individual or you or you as individuals alone on a desert island. He's talking to all of us. And that is meant to bring comfort. You are never alone in the Christian life. Okay, sure, you may feel lonely at times. Jesus did. But you are never left alone in the Christian life. So don't miss that. So now let's think together and answer the question, what are the spirits? Is John talking about spirits like a like a strange being, it's October, and we're going to start talking about ghosts. Is that, what, uh, is that what John's referring to? Are they personal beings in the world that come to us? Are we supposed to speak with these beings? Are we supposed to ask these beings for some sort of password of some kind? Is that the kind of spirit testing that John is talking about? Not completely, at least not here. The Bible in other places speaks of uh, malevolent spiritual beings, right? Demons at work in the world under the leadership of Satan. But that's a sermon for another day. Here in this place, John is talking about another definition of spirit. And you see it at the end of verse 6 when he says a spirit of truth versus a spirit of error. 
The spirit to test here is an idea or a philosophy or a worldview. Someone might use the $5 word to describe it, uh, the $5 word being zeitgeist. Zeitgeist, it's really fun because it starts with a Z. It's an old German word, and it literally means time ghost. But uh, we translate it, bring it across in English as something like the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age. It's generally how folks feel about things in your particular place and time, in your or our particular cultural moment. It's easiest to understand uh, what the zeitgeist is when you think about how such a thing changes. For instance, what was the zeitgeist 15 years ago surrounding something really groundbreaking like gay marriage? Well, the zeitgeist around gay marriage was uh, that it was unpopular, to say the least. If you go back and you watch movies and see how jokes were made then, now the zeitgeist has changed. Those jokes and uh, that negative view uh, was okay then, but they aren't anymore. There's been a shift in the spirit of the age. There's been a change in the zeitgeist. Now, I'm going to say more about that in a moment. But what John is saying to the beloved community is, you guys need to test the zeitgeist, the commonly held ideals of your cultural moment. Christians needed to test it in John's day. We needed to test it 15 years ago, and we need to test it today. Because John says there are false prophets that have gone out into the world and those false prophets claim to be from the church. And the, the test that the world uses typically goes one of two ways. Either yesterday's spirit of the age is out of date and today's spirit is good or today's spirit is bad and yesterday's was good. But John is going to give us another test and that test is a real game changer. So how to test the spirits? Well, look in verse 2, and it may seem odd to us at first. John says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And in case you didn't get it, there's verse 3 where he says it in the reverse. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, confess in this passage is more than mere lip service. Confess here is a binding word. It's a solemn promise, a binding profession and public declaration. In other words, John is not just putting uh, this idea out there as a mere password. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Oh, okay, now we naively let you in. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be a secret phrase. It's a reasoned promise with moral implications. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is a reasoned promise with moral implication. It's a, it's a confession about the incarnation. Now I'll admit, I have to ask myself this question. How often do I think about the incarnation in my daily life outside of Advent and Christmas time? That's when we sing the incarnation songs. We talk about Jesus coming to earth that God takes on flesh. But if you think about it, John's test seems a little weird to us. After all, if you find the spirit of the age in ideas and philosophies, how many, how many times do you judge your news source by their profession of Jesus Christ as God incarnate? 
Do you daily discern your news by uh, reading an article or listening to a podcast and asking, how does the incarnation of Jesus Christ separate the good from the bad in this article? How does the incarnation of Jesus Christ separate the wise from the foolish in this thing that I'm watching on TV or on YouTube? If Jesus in the flesh makes a difference in how Christians test the spirits, well, maybe the first application of this passage is for all Christians for us to spend a little more time meditating on the doctrine of the incarnation. I mean, what's the real significance that God became man? That's a much different test than we usually use for things, isn't it? I think so. Let's be honest. Christians are in the world, and thus, to a certain degree, we're in the world. We are, we are a part of the culture that we're actually called to challenge. So how often do we use uh, the same cultural test that the world uses? Old ideas are bad. New ideas are good. Or do you catch yourself doing the opposite? New ideas are bad. Old ideas are good. Neither of those are a good test. Why? Because there are new ideas that are both good and bad. And likewise, there are old ideas that are both good and bad. But the arbiter of those spirits is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because God took on flesh in the person of Jesus, he bestowed great worth on what it is to become human, to be a human. Christ's humanity has implications for the body. The body is good. The body is redeemable. Humans have dignity. Let's go back to my earlier example about the old zeitgeist about how it used to be okay to joke in a certain way about people who call themselves gay? Was it right to joke about them in a way that stripped them of basic human dignity? No. Not if you confess Jesus Christ came in the flesh. But what else? The spirit of the age has now changed and it says that you can be whatever gender you feel you are on a given day. No, not if you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus came as a man, as a gendered man. He was not both genders at the same time. And as a man, Jesus had great compassion. Jesus has great compassion on women. He treated them with dignity. Jesus took joy in children as a man. He had intimate friendships with other men, but not sexual relationships. He had compassion on those who were confused. He had compassion on those who were lost. And the Bible says that Jesus' compassion is activated most when he sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, the spirit of the age will change as often as the newspaper headlines that we read and write. People before us couldn't imagine what it would be like now, and we can't imagine what it will be like for people who come after us. But whatever the age, whatever the spirit of that age, 
holding fast to the confession of Jesus Christ having come in the flesh determines whether or not you're dealing with the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Antichrist mentioned in verse 3. But let's look at this most important thing, though, and that is how to overcome by the Spirit. How to overcome by the Spirit. Now, how do I know that this is the most important thing? Because in verse 4, John starts his statement by calling his readers at this place, little children. Now, you hear that, and maybe you think, oh, John is so sweet. He's positively grandfatherly when he says, oh, little children. You find that phrase, it may even seem quaint, but there are very two important things about John using this phrase, little children. First, John's most likely using little children as a reading marker, right? Much in the same way that we use boldface type or we use a bullet point or we uh, indent a particular paragraph, John uses this name, little children, in the letter seven times, which is not an insignificant number as far as, uh, you know, things, uh, as far as things popping up in the Bible go. And every time John uses little children in this letter, he introduces either a major point of doctrine or a loving command. So remember, in this date and time, when, when, someone is, uh, when the church is gathered and hearing this, everyone doesn't have their own copy of it like you do. There's one person reading. How is John going to make things stand out? He'll use these kind of context markers. Now, second, what does it mean when he calls the community little children? I mean, John could have called them anything at this point. He could have called them believers. He could have called them beloved again. He could have called them brothers and sisters. He could call them a lot of things. But he's reminding them here in saying that they're little children, that they have a father beyond their earthly fathers. He chooses to remind them by calling them little children of their adoption as sons. The adoption that was purchased by Christ's blood. The adoption that guarantees them an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. To overcome here means to have a past victory with present implications. The literal Greek word uh, in this point is where, is where a famous shoe line gets its name. Nike, from the verb nikao, uh, to be victorious, to overcome. What do they say? Just do it. Just do it. Put on these shoes and you will have victory. Okay, it's an advertising campaign, right? We all know you win with hard work, not with shoes, right? Right? <laughs> but most of us, uh, Midwesterners, we tend to live with a just-do-it sort of Christianity, huh? Functionally, like I said before, we say, ah, I should be able to do that myself. It's up to me. I'd better learn to test the spirits better. I need to remember how I've been hurt by the bad ones and I need to vow never again to let that happen again. I'm going to be a little more suspicious about the next person who comes down the street saying something. I'm going to be a little less naive. I'm going to make myself that way. And John, in essence, says it's not about your work or your power. John says, you're adopted by God. And the deposit of your sonship is the Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
Verse 5, the false prophets, the Antichrist, the folks who left the church because they don't buy the incarnation of Jesus Christ, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Don't make their mistake. Some of us here today, we could probably worry a little less and quit trying to point out exactly who the false prophets and the Antichrists are trying to defend ourselves. And we could probably spend a little more time meditating on our adoption. Our adoption as little children who are beloved. And a little more time recognizing our past victory won by Christ that has present implications. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's plenty of work for us to do, Midwesterners. Uh, I don't want to disappoint you. We, we are the Protestant work ethic, right? Uh, but it may not be the work that we thought. It is work to remember. To remember the victory that you have in the blood of Jesus. That's why we come and remind ourselves every week in worship and why we participate in the sacrament every week. It's work. It's work to test the spirits by meditating on the incarnation of Jesus. And it's work to listen. As John says in verse 6, John is talking about himself. He's talking about the other apostles who walked with Jesus. That those are the ones who are the authoritative witnesses to the resurrection. Whoever knows God listens to them. And we do that now. We do that listening by reading the witness that they've left for us in Scripture. Do you want to walk in the light more? Listen to John more then. Meaning, meditate on the scripture. Participate in the spirit of truth more than you participate in the spirit of our present delusion or error. Participate in the spirit more than you participate in, dare I say it, even Fox News or CNN, whichever one. Those spirits are not as powerful as the spirit of truth found in Holy Scripture. How are we going to overcome our wounds and our bad vows if we don't spend time remembering our past victory and its present implications? If we don't spend time reminding each other what it means to be the agapetoi, to be the beloved. If we don't spend time reminding each other, oh, little children, little children, you are from God. Christians have a power such that their wounds don't have to become their way of life. Have you considered that? Christ does not call us to be naively trusting. He does not call us to be overly suspicious. He calls us to test the spirits and to know that we overcome by His Spirit that's at work in us. So you can see there are both evil spirits active in the world, but also ideas and worldviews that are the spirit of delusion that must be tested so that you can walk in the truth. And this testing has everything to do with Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is a mark that no other religion, no other worldview, no other philosophy has. And God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And you don't need to be worried about knowing every little detail about every little spirit of delusion. You need to know you are from God, listening to God's word, because then God's spirit is in you. 
The Father loves you. The Son saves you. The Spirit guides you. And that is how you overcome. It keeps you from being overly suspicious or overly naive when you remember you are beloved in Christ. You are an agapetoi. You are an adopted child of God, one of his children. These powerful truths keep you walking in the light. And that you may know them. And to the degree that you may know them, you become more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Good Father, your unconditional love is at work in all your little children. Grant that we may have wisdom to test the spirits and to overcome by your Holy Spirit, that your church may walk in the light and bear witness to your Son, Jesus Christ, whose worship together with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.